Thank y'all. Thank y'all just for loving us and allowing us to be part of your family. And uh, last Sunday, uh, we were driving over the Buckman, headed back over for our, uh, our farewell fellowship. And, uh, uh, and we were driving over. And, and I don't know if you've seen the movie Independence Day, but kind of when the, the alien ship is coming through the atmosphere and it's about to land over L.A., there's all these like, it's like fire and like dark clouds and like it looks like the gates of hell have just opened. And, uh, uh, and, and that's what downtown Jacksonville looked like when we were driving over the Buckman and I go, I go, I go, ain't nobody coming to this, but it's cool. We'll just hug whoever comes and it'll be totally fun. And y'all, man, y'all showed up. Y'all showed up to love on us and, uh, and don't think we won't, uh, we won't forget that. And so, um, I don't want to dwell on this because that's not what this is about. This is about the proclamation of God's word. But, um, but I do want to, uh, um, we wrote a thank you note uh, and it's on kind of all modes of transportation at Fort Caroline Baptist church. You can find it at the website or on social media. Um, and that, that is from our heart. We, we truly do mean that. All right, so, uh, so D.A. Carson once said this about revival. He said, it is closer to, to the more historic sense of a special movement of God's spirit that brings with it deep conviction of sin, fresh contrition, and fresh holiness, and uh, commitment zeal from, uh, for God's word and God's glory. A special movement that may be as short as a few hours or as long as many years and may result in thousands being renewed and more thousands being converted. Do you want revival? I mean, that, that's a question I have for you. Do, do, do you want revival? Is that what you, is that, is that what you want? Do you, don't you want to see people um, come in the doors of this church, hear the gospel and be saved? Do you, do you want to have dinner with people that your coworkers or friends that don't know Jesus and you share the gospel with them and they go right in that moment, boom, I want to be saved. Don't you, do you want this Acts 2 kind of vibe where Peter steps up and the Holy Spirit falls and he preaches this sermon of repentance and all of a sudden thousands of people come and get saved. Do, do you want that here? I've only got one sermon left for you today. Like, that's it, I'm done. And then, and then I'm going to like throw my hands up and say, deuces, right, I'm out. And, um, and so I, I want to share with you today about revival because I truly believe that God, if you look at our world and how, how um, the direction our world is moving, that every time you see a, a movement of God, it is precipitated by a couple things. One, by the passionate prayers of God's people, but also in a world that more and more desperately tries to run from the manifest presence of God and somehow God slaps them upside the head and they wind up being saved. And if you look at our world, if you look at the direction that it's going, we need revival more than ever. When I was in college, I was in college Allie and I were dating and uh, we had a, a tent revival uh, at, at First Baptist Middleburg where I grew up. Uh, and uh, I don't know why we had a perfectly good air conditioned building. Um, right next door and we had a tent revival. Y'all, y- anybody ever been to a tent revival? All right, so you, you, you've been to it, right? You sweat, you dressed up, like, because that's the thing. And so you dressed up, and I don't know why I wore a suit that night. And, uh, um, uh, and, and the guy gets up, and, and the, he was a preacher, well-known preacher. He gets up and was spitting and yelling and pounding, pounding the pulpit and, and, and shaking the Bible. And I mean, all of a sudden, all the guys I grew up with, uh, I think I've told this story, but all the guys that I grew up with, um, uh, when it comes time for the invitation, I'm sitting, I'm standing in the back and I'm looking around going, Going, what are we doing here? And and it was a revival, and we because like for some reason you f- you think you can schedule revival, right? And so um, and then all my friends that I grew up with, discipled with, they all wanted most of them wanted being at my wedding. Um, they all go forward in salvation, and I'm going, 
What, in the, what are we doing? Like, what, 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 what's happening here? And after the third night, uh, revival ended, like you can end revival. Revival ended, and we all went about our lives, and, and I, can, I, can I be real with you? Nothing changed. Like, we wound up doing the same stupid stuff we were doing before, you know, and it just so happened they went down and we got to count them as baptisms and, and, and very little change. I mean, I mean, we were, we were, I'll be honest with you, I think we were all believers, but I think what happened was that there was a manipulative sermon that was preached, uh, that was, that was used to, 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 um, open up a certain emotive place, uh, where we felt like the sin that was in our lives that, that, that God had would some, for some reason had not forgiven us of it. And so, uh, we were prompted to, to go forward. Um, let me tell you, I, I love tent revivals because I love the music's usually like really like off the charts good. Um, but I think we in the Western church have misused and miscategorized what revival truly is. So the, the title of this message is this, it's revival, not just another tent meeting. I'm pro- I've probably already made some of you mad this morning. Okay. Um, and that's okay. Um, I'd be a, a steward at fcbcjacks.com would be, uh, would, would be the, the email for any, 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 any complaints. Um, the big idea today is this, is that modern church culture, <laughs> I'm glad y'all laughed at that. If you didn't, it was gonna be a long sermon. Um, modern church culture has diluted revival to this multi evening tent meeting with spitting preachers and spontaneous baptisms. Church, this is what I want you to hear, all right? Real, authentic revival comes only from God breaking the hearts of proud people to show them the depth of their sin, coupled with the even greater depth of his grace. That is revival. If you want revival to come, and, and I know we, we've had a revival here. Recently, we had a, a, a time where people came in and, and heard the gospel. I think that's beautiful, and I think you should do things like that. You should create conduits for people to hear the gospel, but play ways for them to invite their friends to church that they might hear the gospel. Now, that is not the only place that the gospel is preached. The gospel is also preached through you in your lives, how you live uh, every day in the marketplace and amongst your friend group and amongst your, your, your knitting club or your bridge club or whatever it happens to be. But revival church will not happen unless God's people are committed to it and God's spirit moves amongst that committed people. So we're going to be in Psalm 85 uh, today. Uh, this is a, um, um, one of the psalms written by the sons of Korah. We're going to get into talk about the sons, who sons of Korah are here uh, in just a moment. But uh, I want us to read Psalm 85. This is a psalm of revival. Uh, and I want us to read verses 1 through 7. And then we're going, going to spend the time that we have unpacking today. He says... He says, Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and you covered all of their sin. There's that word there, Selah, all right? That's not just a Christian band, okay? A Christian uh, singing group. Selah is essentially calling you to pause, all right? To take a breath, to take in what you have just heard, to, to, to ponder it. And I think a, a revival is a lot of that, uh, that, that when God moves, uh, that, that we stop and we just look around, even if it's just briefly, we look around and we look at, at all the God, things that God has done. And so hey, uh, the, the sons are calling you to, to ponder this idea that God would actually forgive the iniquity of the people and cover all of their sin. He says, you withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. 
will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Church, revival will not come to this community until we see three things. First is that we recognize our sinfulness. Knowing the history of this psalm makes a difference. Psalm 85 was written by the sons of Korah. Who is Korah? Korah was charged by the Lord with leading a rebellion during the Exodus. It, we actually kind of skimmed over it a little bit uh, when we were walking through the Exodus together a few months ago. Um, and because he was kind of the ringleader of uh, this particular rebellion, uh, God, um, he, he was punished, but God spared some of his children, not all of them, but some of them as a measure of dispensing his grace so that people might see that God is not just this angry, burning, hot, just God, but he is also this loving God who does show us grace from time to time. And so these sons of Korah, the one that, ones that were left, right, they spent the rest of their lives serving around the tabernacle. Now, they weren't Levites, okay? So they weren't performing priestly duties. These, they were janitors, okay? They were, they, were one, they were serving in and amongst the temple, uh, the tabernacle. Um, and, and wherever they would go, I, I kind of like this. Wherever they went, no matter how they were serving, uh, they, were, they, they told everybody about how deep God's grace is and how much grace he, he had shown to them uh, because of their in spite of their father's insurrection. I, I love that um, because I think, I think uh, there's, is this, there's this platform kind of celebrity mentality in church life, which I really don't like, but you really can't get, a, you can probably get away, with, away from it, but we're not that kind of people. Um, I, there are people that, that I think come in and they just kind of get overwhelmed with what happens on the stage. Those that can play guitar, or drums, or who can sing, uh, play piano, those that can, that can do public speaking well. And they go, oh man, there's something special because God's using them. God uses everyone that he calls to himself. He uses everyone. And so, so you have the sons of Korah here who are going around like picking up trash and like, you know, um, kind of keeping things tidy amongst the tabernacle. And God was using them. And just like God uses you, whether you're teaching a life group, whether you're running sound or slides in the back, whether you're greeting as you walk in, whether you're working in nursery, I mean, God uses all of us that have a desire to be used for his glory within the context of his local church. So, so Psalm 85 is this cry from the sons of Korah. So after the exiles uh, return um, from Babylon, they return to Jerusalem. And, and, and so they are, they are begging God to show them, to, to restore them. To, to, he, they thank him for, for, for pulling their, this, this hot wrath that he had from them, that he was pouring out during, uh, the, the, or during the, the um, punishment from the rebellion. He's, he's like, you, you turned your wrath from us. Right? He says, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes. Church, when, when God allows us to fall into rebellion, um, he doesn't push us into it. Like, I need you, if you don't hear another thing that I've said over this last you know, 10 months, I want you to hear this. There is only one time in history, and it's not even history yet, it hadn't happened yet. All right? There's only one time in history that God pouring out his wrath is punitive. 
And you can make a case that Jesus on Calvary was punitive, but it wasn't really, it wasn't really punitive, it was restorative, right? He poured out his wrath on Jesus that we might be restored. God doesn't pour out his wrath on you. He redirected it to Jesus so that you might be restored. So when God allows us in our sinfulness to fall into rebellion, when we, he, I mean, there are some times that, and as a parent, I think y'all, some, for some of y'all probably understand this, that there are just sometimes, parents, and will you amen this if, if it's true, um, there are some times that you just have to let your children fall. You got to let them fall. You can't, you can't be the helicopter parent, okay, that just, that just goes, oh, no, no, I can't let little Johnny fall. He might skin his knee. Let me tell you, some of the best lessons I've learned in my life were the ones that where I came up bloody. Some of you are like, I'm never coming to this church again. Don't worry. I won't be here next week. <laughs> I mean, it just is what it is, all right? But as a loving parent, you let your kids fall and if they can't pick themselves up, you're kind of right there to help them, help prop them, right? And dust them off and maybe a little bit of back teen, a little bit of bandaging. And they, they, but they feel the sting of the fall. And they say, I don't want to feel that way again. And so, you know what they learn to do? They learn to walk and to keep walking. And they'll fall again. And sometimes you'll be there to pick them up. Sometimes you won't. But the Lord does. That's how the Lord works. That, that when we fall, we do something stupid. We fall into rebellion. God allows us to suffer those consequences. But it's never punitive in nature. Sometimes it feels punitive. But it's not. It's restorative. Because it's in those moments when you are laying face down and you have just face planted. And I've done it. Like, I have, I have done, I have done the, the full spread eagle face plant. That's why, I have a, uh, that's why I have a beard, because like I skinned my, goat, or skinned my, my chin one time. I said, I'm never going to let that happen again. So now I have a buffer. <laughs> but it's in those moments when you're laying on the ground that you, go, that, that you go, man, how dumb am I? And you look to God and say, God, forgive me for what I've done. God allows us to fall into rebellion, not because it's punitive, but because it's restorative, he wants you to see the dumb stuff you've done and that you would turn to him in repentance and ask him to forgive you. And the Bible says that when you ask him to forgive you, he forgives. He says, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered their sins. Now you covered them in the Old Testament. But you know what he did in Jesus? He washed them white as snow. Your sins are no longer covered where they might be uncovered one day. They are cleansed as if they never happened. God chooses to remember them no more. But church, we won't see revival until we recognize our sinfulness. And you ask, well, when is, when is God's judgment, when is, wrath, when is his wrath punitive? Well, the great white throne judgment. It's the, you know, there's two judgments at the end of time. There's the judgment for the unbeliever and there's the judgment for the believer. The great white throne for the unbeliever, the bema throne for, um, for the believer, right? So as believers, we're going to be judged based on our works post-conversion. There is nothing that, that can take your salvation away from you. But this will kind of be how God determines your rewards in heaven based on, on how you sought him, based on the good works that you've done. But there's also the bema throne judgment where, where unbelievers will be judged based on their lack of faith or their, their constant blasphemy of the Holy Spirit unto death, all right, where God is going to say, depart from me from, for I never knew you. It's the same place. Many will say to me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, but they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. 
at that moment when God meets out his perfect justice, pours out his wrath, it's on those that, that did not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior unto death. And he says, this is punitive. You will spend the rest of your life separated from me in a very real place called hell. And it's, it's too late. But church, right now, it's not too late. We are in the restorative phase where God's desires that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. But we will not see revival until we recognize our sinfulness. But not only that, we won't see revival until we receive God's graciousness. I, I, I pick a little bit uh, when, when we, uh, we, we, we schedule revival. I, I love to give people, people grief about this. Like, okay, good. I'm glad we're scheduling revival. It's going to be May 3rd through the 5th. I can't wait. Jesus is going to show up. There's going to be revival. Um, and some people actually believe that. Like some people believe that you can like make like like you can get a date on God's calendar when He'll show up and and His Spirit will fall and revival will happen. Right? Um, can I tell you something? Revival always begins with God. Revival always begins with God. We can till the soil, we can prepare the land, we can do all the things to get things ready. But revival doesn't happen until God moves. God has to, when we see our sinfulness, then God shows us his graciousness. Tim Keller, who I told you I was going to quote, says this about the gospel. He says, don't miss this, this, this is so good, I wish I'd, I wish I'd have thought of it. He says, you must let the gospel argue with you. You must let the gospel sink down deeply until it changes your views and the structures of your motivation. You must be trained and discipled by the gospel. The gospel, if it is truly believed, believed, helps us out of the extreme neediness that is natural to the human heart. When we truly allow the gospel to permeate our souls, you see the depth of your sin. And that's a scary moment for the believer in the room. Just think about it. Do you, do you remember, you remember the, the time that you realized that you were lost and dying and going to hell? I think for some of us, and look, I've been a Christian 31 years, okay? There are days I forget what it was like to be lost. But do you, just think back. Do you remember what it felt like when you first trusted Jesus Christ as Savior? Like you couldn't, you couldn't pray that prayer fast enough. Like the prayer saved you. Prayer doesn't save you. It's the posture of your heart. It is, it is you in repentance showing God that, God, I cannot do this on my own. Lord, please forgive me. I beg you, forgive me. And the Bible says when you beg him to forgive you, he does. Look at verse 4. He says, restore us again, the sons of Korah, who have a terrible family legacy. Said, Lord, restore us again, O God of our salvation. Put away your indignation towards us. Father, will you be angry with us forever? What a question. We see in the text, we find that it's the prayers of the sons of Korah and of God's people. And it, it, it catches the ear of God. When was the last time you cried out to God? Now look, I do a daily devotion every morning. 
I post some thoughts on Facebook. There's a group that several of y'all are in. And, and I just sort of, I, I told people in January, I said, look, I'm doing this devotion. I'm going to post some thoughts. I'd love for you to join and be a part of it. It's called New Morning Mercies with Patrick. If, uh, find it on Facebook. But if, if us just reading a two-minute devotional and then putting the scriptures away for the rest of our day constitutes our crying out towards God, you're not yelling very loud. Believer, we have to come to the place in our lives where we are absolutely convinced that it is nothing short of an outpouring of the grace of God that revival will come to this place. The sons of Korah are crying out, Lord, are you going to be angry forever? Lord, restore us. They've just come out of this Babylonian exile. 70 years in captivity. A whole generation gone. Now, we, you know what we do see? We do see that later, we see that, that God restores their fortunes. He restores his love and his presence, right? Ezra is going to rebuild the temple and Nehemiah is going to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So God's going to restore the fortunes. He's going to restore his people. He's going to show his grace upon them. Do you want God to hear you, church? You've got to cry out. Do you want God to heal your family? Then cry out. Do you want God to heal this land? Then cry out. Let the church cry out. Look at verse 5. The sons of Korah cried. He says, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to the generations? Church, when we cry out to God we have, and we have no, or, no ulterior motive than, the, than just the pure exaltation of God and a recognition that he is holy and he's sovereign and he's righteous and he's good, he hears us. And he offers us grace. I love as we look at the refinement. Uh, I'm, I'm not a work with your hands guy. I have the soft hands of an academic. Um, <laughs> But I, I mean, I am like, I am like starched white collar. Okay. I mean, let me tell you, that's, that's my life. All right. Um, but I love to watch, you ever watch that, that show dirty jobs, you know, we're like, I watch that and I go, <laughs> no, <laughs> and it's not that like, like, I think I'm better than that. I'm, I'm probably worse than a lot than a lot of that. Uh, but I just think I, I don't know that I can handle that handle that much physical labor in my life. I, I would be too healthy, I think. I, 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 it's not good. Um, there was a, an episode where, where he, um, Mike is his name, where he um, uh, went and they were, he went to this, this um, metal, met, uh, um, metal worker and they were refining metals and showed you how you get to like 10 karat gold, 14 karat gold, 24 karat gold, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, and they were talking about how the refinement process works. Um, and what they do is they, the only way to purify, we'll use gold in this example, uh, the only way to purify gold is to heat it up. And as you heat it up, this, this junk kind of rises to the top. I guess it's less dense than the actual gold itself. And it rises to the top and it's, it's skimmed off and it's, it's thrown away. That stuff is called dross. All right, that's the impurities. All the impurities are rising to the surface. And what you're left with, every cycle that you do that, you are left with a little bit more um, pure, you know, purified gold. You see the same thing in Zechariah chapter 13. 
Uh, he says, and I will put this third, this third in the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. He says, they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is the Mosaic covenant, right? They are my people. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. The refinement process, both individually for the believer and corporately for the church, is, being, is God allowing the, the heat to be turned up so that whatever impurities we have within us just kind of come right to the surface. And God skims them off. Sometimes it hurts. Skin, knees, back, teen, bandages. And it's cast aside. And what's left is a more pure form. And you think, man, like, you know, have you tried to buy 24 karat gold? Like every holiday when I have to go buy Allie a new piece, when I get to go buy Allie a new piece of jewelry, not, forget I said that. Unfortunately, it's on tape, all right? So we're going to edit that out. Um, when I get to go buy Allie a new piece of jewelry, I'm reminded how much gold costs. Because the more pure it gets, the more rare it is, and the more rare it is, the more valuable it is. You ever thought about what would happen if you got to the place where you were in the most pure form you could ever be? We see it in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 21. Um, the new heaven and the new earth are being, essentially the new Jerusalem is being described. He says, and the 12 gates, the apostle John says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. We don't know perfection we don't know pure gold. We think we do because we live in the 21st century and this is like the best century ever, right? Like we should be better than the 20th century and the 19th century and the 18th century. We should be moving along as people, but, but we, we don't completely, do we? Like, like the best we can do is like this, this opaque, semi-pure gold. In heaven, where the real goods, the good stuff is used, crystal sea, pearly gates, streets of gold, etc. The gold is so pure that it's like transparent glass. Like gold, transparent glass. Why is that important to us? Because the end result of the purification process for the believer is transparency. God shows us grace and in that Grace, he begins a work in us that will end with us being transparent. Open, completely open before the Father, not holding anything back. We have, church, when we are truly in that place, when the process of sanctification is done, we have nothing to hide. Recognize our sinfulness, receive God's graciousness, fully transparent. But finally, we recline into God's fellowship. Look at verse 7. He says, show us your steadfast love, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. That, that phrase, steadfast love, means it's never changing. There, there's a certain closeness. I, I want to I I kind of explain it to you. Um, flip over, if you would, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is during the Last Supper. 
John says, after saying these things, verse 21, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. I know we get this picture, and and one of the Gospels kind of describes the upper room kind of like a banquet hall. Um, but I think we look at it as these like tall ceilings and ornate things, kind of like, uh, like, like you would see at a wedding reception or something like that. And these tables, and they're all dressed in tuxes, uh, and they're, um, they're, they're kind of doing the thing. And, you know, they're doing it family style, and Jesus is serving them, and they're just sort of, you know, having this great time. That's not what it was. As a matter of fact, I, I've, I've, got a, I've got a photo. Do we have that photo of the Last Supper um, from Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci? We do not. Okay. All right. All right, so there's a photo from the, of the Last Supper, okay, uh, by, by Leonardo da Vinci, and, and it, it shows, it shows uh, the disciples, and, and, and I think we have, we have this photo, it's not completely right, but there's a, there's, in the photo you can look at, you see that the, uh, one of the people next to Jesus, his name is John, okay, He's, he is John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, okay, he is John the Apostle, and John is sort of reclining into Jesus, that's not really what exactly what the Last Supper looked like. I don't think they were at a banquet table. That's not how, when, during the Babylonian captivity, which we were uh, referencing here that the sons of Korah uh, had just come out of with the, 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 um, with the Israelites, um, they picked up a, a, real, a really Persian way. When they were living in Iraq, like in, in Babylon, um, they had picked up, the Israelites had picked up this Persian method of eating where they would all have, there would be a table and everyone at the table would be kind of like in, in stacked rows where they would be reclining over and, and, it, it, and the, your head would kind of be like almost to the chest of the person that you were sitting next to. It was, there was a certain closeness, a certain fondness. Uh, about it, and so, um, and so we see that that John in verse twenty three that John is is reclining at the table at Jesus' side. There's a a certain closeness that goes with it. The beauty of this is that the same supper that that uh, Jesus had with his disciples. Well, there it is. All right. So so there, there's the this, this same this the same picture. All right. Um, yeah, buddy, of mine. Can I, can I tell you all a really bad joke? Would that be okay? It's not bad, but it's like it's like a dad joke. Um, <laughs> You, you, you want to know why the disciples are all seated at the table this way? Because Jesus said, if you want to get in the photo, you got to be on the same side of the table. All right. And so I don't have the timing to tell jokes. Sarcasm is my love language. All right. But, but we, we kind of have had this, this kind of view of what the last supper was like. This was more than likely not what the last supper looked like. All right, but we kind of have this, this picture of it, and, and there, there is symbolism all through this. It is, it is fascinating if you've, ever, if you've ever seen it. But the Last Supper didn't look like this. They were, they were all kind of hunched over, and they were, they were all very, very close to one another. And, and that was because if you loved someone enough, you cared about someone enough to have dinner with them, it wasn't just like a blind date or whatever. You were close enough to them. You wanted to be close to them. They didn't shower every day, and like, like there was a little bit of funkylicious going on. I mean, it was, it, it was but, but because you loved them, you, you were close together that's what it looked like and so the sons of Korah are like like Lord give us your steadfast love we want to be near to you we want to recline into your fellowship we we want to get so close we're touching church that's what revival looks like when you're that close to somebody you can't hide the funk you just put it right out there because you just want to be near to them so badly. Church, when we commune with the Lord, we are invited to a close fellowship with him. 
we get to recline into him. When you recline into fellowship with someone, there's nothing to hide. It's out there. You can't have revival. Don't miss this. You cannot have revival on your terms. When you recognize your sinfulness, you receive God's graciousness and you recline into his fellowship and you're fully transparent, there is nothing that God cannot see and no reason God wouldn't move amongst you. And as you launch into this next season of ministry, I cannot tell you how excited I am for y'all. But if you truly want revival, y'all got to hit your knees and beg God to send it. And it's not because he wants you to beg. But for when we beg, like when I've done something dumb and I need to beg God, beg Allie to forgive me, like I'm just pulling out all the stops. We need to pull out all the stops. Not for God's sake, but for ours. So that we will recognize the gravity of the brokenness and beg God to send us revival again. And that's our prayer for you. Allie and I are going to be starting a new ministry next Sunday. You can pray for the people of Cedar Hills Baptist Church. Like, literally pray for them. Um, <laughs> we're going to be starting a new ministry on the west side of Jacksonville. Doing, they're in the very same place you were in just 10 months ago. And so you get it. You can sympathize with them. And you can pray for them. And pray as we lead and as we love them. Because if they experience revival, then we should be cheering. And for darn sure, we're going we're gonna to praise God if, if and when revival comes here. Because this is not competition. We are family and this is cooperative. And we share in the ministry of the Lord together until the day he comes back. That's all I have to tell you. I'm done. Let me pray. And I guess Matt wants to come up here in just a moment. So we're going to pray and then we're going to, um, we're going to close out the service. Father, we love you and we honor you. And God, we thank you for the beauty and the majesty of your word, for its perfection, for its sufficiency. And God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their ministry of healing. And they may not even know it. And God, I pray for Pastor Stewart as he's preparing to move his family down here. And I pray that when he arrives, he will see a church that is nothing more than fertile ground for the seed of revival. That we would see a community, a nation, and a world turn their face towards you and recline into your fellowship. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.